0: Welcome to Pragmatic Live, a podcast created to help you succeed, especially if you create or market, or even price, innovative products. I'm Mark Stiving, a Pragmatic Marketing instructor and pricing guy, and today I'm joined by Dan Morris. Now, to our listeners, Dan and I talked for the very first time about 10 minutes ago, and we spent most of that time talking about football. However, he has an expertise in a fascinating process called value creation, and he wields this tool better than anyone, at least that's what I've heard, and he does it in the world of professional services. Now, most of our listeners, you're not in, you are in technology products, not professional services, but we're gonna try to merge these two worlds and see if we can make magic today. Welcome, Dan.
1: Hi, Mark, thank you very much.
0: Uh, so, so, I've had Kirk Bowman on our podcast before, I've had Ron Baker on our podcast, all Verisage members how did you get hooked up with these guys
1: well back in 1990 oh heavens five or six i was part of of a cal cpa society marketing committee and we had hired ron baker who was just really new into the scene and with a product called total with with a service offering called total quality service and the shift from hourly billing to value pricing as one of our conference speakers and i'm I'm sitting there in the audience, and I said, oh, this guy has it. I've been thinking about these things, but he actually had gelled it. So I took a course from him, and Ron actually said to anybody, if you've got any questions, call me. So I called him. And over time, we became friends. The next year's conference I presented before Ron on a, on a model called the Concierge Service Model which was really the methodology to become a first-stop shop rather than a one-stop shop, but a first-stop shop Mm. for any of our customers. And Ron and I then started to write courses together, and he came up with an idea that became Verisage Institute. I helped implement it and create it, and I'm one of the co-founders. Kirk Bowman came to us via his relationship with uh, one of our other senior fellows, Ed Kless. And uh, Verisage is a collective think tank of – Really, 30 to 40 active professionals that share knowledge in technology, professional services, advertising, law, and accounting, uh, either practitioners or advisors.
0: And everyone I've talked to has been very bright, very smart, so I I enjoy talking with you guys.
1: Well, I just like hanging out with smart people, so I'm the dumb one of the group. Just never forget that.
0: (laughs) So the next thing i got to ask you, which is really hard, is now, is it true that you're an accountant? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I am I am. I'm an I'm an a <laughs> I am an accountant. I have people who are con are concerned that somebody got confused with the exam somewhere, but I actually um yeah, I'm a certified public accountant in both Oregon and in California.
0: Yeah, I find it fascinating because accountants have a reputation for not being um interesting, I guess would be the word I would use. And yet, <laughs>
1: You know, if you—I mean, it's—it's it's amazing. Have you seen the movie *The Accountant*? Oh, I haven't. Well, you should. You should. There's what's a, What I find, what I find interesting is that most of the accountants I know really like about the first eight to ten minutes of the movie, where the accountant is actually being an accountant. He's helping a farmer's family try to figure out how to save money on their taxes legally, and he's giving them signals and hand signals to kind of raise the raise the amount of money that they spent for this and he's signaling to the guy to have the wife tell better stories and, and I have people going, that's really great and I'm going, no, no, the rest of the movie is about a guy who was an accountant for the mob and he ultimately has a high moral ethic and when you when you, when you, when you, when you cross his moral ethic he kills you <laughs> and, yes. it's, and it's it's like, it's like James Bond and I'm going this guy's great <laughs> not his accounting skill but dang <laughs> He's got great ethics. Don't cheat the wrong people, and don't treat people poorly. <laughs> so I really like. I've seen the movie three times. So I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, th- we're gonna
0: have a boost in sales in that movie now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Send me my send me my seven cents
0: royalty for that William. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Okay. So we're we're gonna talk about pricing today. And, and tell me about the magic of pricing. So what is it that you do that's different? And uh, and then we'll dive into this thing called a value conversation.
1: It's difficult for me to say what I do that's different. We just do what we do. Uh, One of the things I think that's tremendously important is that we have to remember that all business is associated with people, right? And, And people are concerned about what's good for them. They will also be concerned about what's good for people that they care about. So I always start out in any conversation with any customer or any advice to a customer we have to answer three questions we have to answer why me why now and why in this manner in other words I'm not the only CPA in Oregon and Washington or excuse me Oregon and California I'm not the only CPA that doesn't have timesheets I don't build by the hour I don't do any of those things I have great niches but the difference is, is my bag of skin different than your bag of skin, and therefore I approach the world from the vision that I have. I think the second question that I always want to make sure I understand is I want to know why people are talking to me now. What is it, what is it about – why weren't they calling me yesterday? Why weren't they calling me a week before or a year before? What, what was that catalyst for change that they reached out? Right? What was that pain point? And then the third question of this is ultimately, why in the manner that they're reaching out? Is it by email or fax or phone or a live meeting or a warm referral? And when we have that, and it doesn't matter if I'm selling a tangible product like a a photocopier or a camera or a car or a house or professional services, advertising, it doesn't matter because we're all dealing with people. So if we start there, then we can have a conversation about how we drive value.
0: Huh. That's that's actually really fascinating. So you have these three questions, why me, why now, and why in this manner. And and that's how you're trying to figure out
1: how much value you're gonna to deliver to your customer before you set a price. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so there's certainly market forces, but but think about think about my, my airline. We we talked about flying earlier as we were talking about football. I fly to three 200 to 220 segments a year between which means I'm flying two to three times a week right <clears throat> so my airline doesn't remember the last time I flew from Portland to London but it's trying to figure out how to establish a price and revenue management right so things that it might look at is what time of the day am I looking How soon before my you know day of departure am I asking how many days am I staying am I staying over a Saturday night or am I trying to get back on Friday those are all all indicators of whether I'm a business flyer hence probably spending somebody else's money or what we call quadrant three money okay or am I on vacation spending my money what we call quadrant one money and I am the same person, but I may be flying to London for two vastly different reasons. So the key is my airline doesn't want to price me, the vacation traveler, the same as me, the business traveler. Because if they do, they're likely leaving money on the table if they price me too low, and they're losing a sale if they price me too high. So what can we tell so if somebody calls it's, – it's March 21st. If somebody calls me today and says I need to have a tax return and I need to have it by April 15th and it's got all these complexities, well, that's going to be priced differently than somebody who's been a long-term customer who gave me their data a month ago and they don't have those complexities or maybe they're willing to go on extension. So what are the – without telling me what their price sensitivity is, they're really value conscious. So when we have to think about not our cost, but our value that we provide, how important is this piece or this item that we're for sale? What yeah. is? What are the ramifications if they don't have it when they need it?
0: Yeah. So, so I always bundle those into a concept like that are, uh, I refer to as willingness to pay. I'm not the only one, right? Nah, that works. But that's really the concept that says, how much value are they getting, so how much how much are they willing to pay? And my mind was just diving into big data conversations when you were talking about your airline knowing your last flight from Portland to London. Because I know they do lots of tricks like that, as in, are you going to do a Saturday night stay, or when are you doing your searches? But do they do that search for you because they know who you are and put a value on you? And I find that fascinating.
1: I believe as I believe as their revenue management gets more sophisticated in their big data capabilities, they will start to have unique pricing. Okay. But they certainly do their best to try to figure out within their – even Southwest Airlines, the known low-cost leader, right, has – different prices for what really is the same seat on the same plane with the same peanuts, you know, know, unless, unless you want a free cocktail, which isn't worth a hundred extra dollars, right. (laughs) And and a board first. But on the other hand, if you need to make a tight connection or you want to really be up front, I mean, they, they make you, they make you reach through and pay with your wallet. It's, it's that whole concept that American express is, dramatically fathoms ahead with their their various levels of pricing. They've got the green card, the gold card, the platinum card, and the black card. We're gonna ignore their affinity cards or their Costco card or whatever, you know, the Sky Miles card and the plum, but those four core cards, which you can't voluntarily get the black card, but, you know, I think a green card, the last I looked was 75 or 100 bucks, and gold card's like 250, and the platinum card's like $450. All for the same privilege to charge, <laughs> not carrying any debt. <laughs> charge. yeah. But, you know, they, they figured out that some people want the concerts and some people want the events and some people want the concierge and some people are cheap. They don't want any of that. They just want the ability to have the American Express card. So they provide different levels for different customer segments. And then they get people like me who actually have, you know, the plum card, the blue card, and the platinum card. I, I don't know why I have three, but you know, <laughs> they they must have reeled me in one day when they got me. Yeah. You know? And 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 so every marketer, I mean, in varus age as a whole, but certainly something. I don't believe there are any commodities. I don't. I think when we can differentiate water, which covers two thirds of the earth's surface. Yeah. You know, well, that's a marketer's job is to is to create a value proposition for that which differentiates what we do from our competitors. Charles Rebson is famous for saying who was the founder of Revlon was famous for saying when it's under the counter, it's lipstick. And as it crosses the counter, it's hope. Hope hmm. for love, hope for beauty. Right. Hope for happiness. Right. That's well, value. What's, what what yeah, it's absolutely and in, it's intangible yeah it's 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 the value that people are willing and able to pay for
0: okay so i love this concept of segmentation that you talked about i think that's really valuable and important in so many different ways let's see if we can take this whole value conversation and say how did we figure out what the difference between a green card and a plum card and a platinum card and a black card and how people value that, how much they'd be willing to pay, what should we put in the package? Because our our product people are always trying to make these decisions: what feature am I going to put in? How much do I charge for it? And and the value conversation that has to happen in the planning stage, not in the sales stage.
1: Right. Well, let's let's <clears throat> so let's let's go to products for example. And, and if you're if you're if your audience ever has some fun, now this is about 10 or 12 years old, but Microsoft engineers wrote a parody of the iPod as if Microsoft had built the iPod and then marketed the iPod box, right? So Steve Jobs presents the iPod and it's got four great pictures or six great pictures on it. And, and they're very – it just says iPod, right? It, it doesn't even say much at all. Like iPod four gigabytes, right? You know, but when Microsoft does it. They you know they they want to add spines and they want to tell us that you know PC Magazine loved it and look at all the look you know you could have the iPod Basic, the Super, the Great, the Grand, the Grandeur, the Blue, and and they ruin the entire packaging, right? So 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 Apple understood that it was the the simplistic aspect of the experience of opening up and carrying. You know, the multiple thousands of songs because they integrated it with iTunes. Microsoft was all about the product and the features. Apple merely just delivered the experience. So I think that absolutely in the architecture of pricing, we need to sit back and say, what is it? And and some of this is experimentation. And also, I think it requires a little bit of gumption and guts on the marketer standpoint to go with what they feel is right and experiment and understand that sometimes they're gonna be wrong but you can't go to a focus group I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of focus groups because focus groups can't ask you for things and features on products that they don't even know exists right uh, I had the privilege of meeting the the actual inventor of post-it notes the guy from 3m Nice, and I had a, and I had a great lunch with him and he said understand something Post-it notes were an absolute surprise invention The glue that 3m had spent millions of dollars on was a failure to do what it was supposed to do I just found a use for it and when they tried to sell them, they couldn't sell them They ultimately had to give them away and let people use them before demand started coming in and saying oh I want that again because when you went to somebody and said, hey, do you like pieces of paper that you can stick all over the place? No. Why would I want that? Right. So if we're going to market sales and features, you have to start to look at what, what, what might be the things that um, your customers might want next in your product. Right. And we, gotta, we have to offer it to them and we have to, we have to, we have to claim a pricing premium for it. But we have to give them something greater in value than the pricing premium, even if it's merely ego, right? Car manufacturers are are famous for this. They let the Cadillac have, you know, delayed windshield wipers before Buick, before Pontiac, before Chevy, right? If you wanted – if you want all the fancy heads-up displays, you had to always pay the premium pricing, right? Over time, it comes down. So – We have to have those products and features, and we have to think about it, and we have to let the marketplace make a decision whether or not that's valuable or not.
0: Yep. So we, as as pragmatic marketing, we certainly agree with everything you just said, and we would say it slightly differently, and that is we can't go ask people what they want because they rarely know the answer to that question, but instead we're looking for their problems. Mm -hmm. What are their problems? And and oftentimes they don't even know how to articulate their problems. Just by watching
1: them live their life or do their job, we see things they can't see themselves. Right. I mean, I I can't remember who it was, but, you know, there are only two things that we can sell, right? Good feelings or solutions to problems or, as Ted Levitt used to say, expectations, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? So in the accounting kind of world or lawyer kind of world, we're generally a solution to a problem, right we're not we're not we're not anybody's jolly ranch here right on the other hand good feelings vacations uh, honeymoons weddings proms i mean think about think about the amount of money that is spent on these celebrations of life whether they're bar mitzvahs or 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 funerals or weddings Uh, i mean people people rationally will tell you oh my god i would never spend 100 grand on a wedding." But people do it all the time. They do. Why? That, that doesn't even buy you an asset. No. It buys you, it buys you a memory. Yes. It goes into a photo, a photographer's book. I get probably digital today. I mean, I know that I have wedding pictures from my wedding. They're in a box right next to the, you know, perfectly vacuumed wedding dress that my wife insisted that we spent $200 <laughs> getting in case our daughter wants to wear it. <laughs> You know, yes, <laughs> that's not picking on my wife either that's that's a very common thing, so she probably uh, won't hear this. It's okay, oh, no, she will. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, honey, okay, so good. I said that publicly on a on a podcast um, there you go. yeah, so absolutely you, we have we have to find we have to find what it is they want as as again, the old marketer said. Nobody nobody goes to Home Depot to buy a drill bit. Yep. They go to Home Depot so they can have a hole.
0: Yep.
1: And if they could get a hole without the drill bit, they would. So we have to remember that. I mean, in my world, right, we were, we're phenomenal tax advisors. We're international tax strategists. We're planners. But they come to us in large part because they don't want to go to jail, right? They, they understand if they don't file their tax returns, they can go to jail. So therefore like to avoid jail yep. right so but everybody's different and we have to we have to price the customer, not the product.
0: okay uh, so so let's take the value conversation past the sale now because here's the next thing I often see happening in the world of uh, products. I have these high- tech companies they've released a product some people have bought it but yet they don't really know why they bought it. They didn't get, they're not charging enough because they haven't captured the value because they don't understand the value. And so there's this opportunity to have a value conversation with people who already have your product. Could we apply why me, why now, why in this manner
1: to that kind of situation? Well, I I think you could model you'd have to modify it, right? You'd, yeah. you'd wanted to change it, so you know, why did you why did you buy our product? What are you doing with it? How is it currently being used? what What did you buy it for? For which it's not being used. In other words, did you have an expectation it would yeah. do A, and we only did B? Well, maybe it actually. I mean, anyway, if it's technology, it likely does B. We're just those of us who are users aren't smart enough right, we haven't to know how to because because engineers wrote the book, right? Engineers go, well, you know, shift eight, four, three, seven, nine, command X. You can have that. Well, really? And huh. you expect me to read that, right? That's why yeah. IKEA is absolutely a phenomenal value. Not because their furniture is really great stuff. <laughs> it's just damn simple. And it's hard to screw up. The worst thing you can do is put the shelf in backwards, which then you can then undo and fix. Mm -hmm. Okay. And having built a lot of bookshelves in my life from kits, (laughs) I really appreciate Ikea. Okay. When my 10 year old children were able to build the bookshelf, you knew you had a winning product. So I think that, I I think that part of what we have to do is we have to watch our customers and and what they do and then find out why'd you buy it? What what, what was it? What was your motivator? What problem are you looking to solve? And is it solving that? And are there other things that you would like it to do? You have to invest back in your customers to make it better and enriched. I mean, if, if that's called R&D or customer R&D in my world, that's, that's making it smarter, sharper, and better, right? Because our customers may be using our products in ways that we hadn't even anticipated. And if we could figure out how to anticipate we can figure out what it is that they're really doing then absolutely we can figure out um ways to enrich it and provide some extra bells and whistles or give them a discount model right i mean you know uh, you know sometimes people i think people get i think people get concerned that we're only about making upward pricing i think it's perfectly fine to have a flanking product have that bare bones product out there to stop that stops uh, competitors from entering in market space that I want to own. Yep. Right. So, so if I'm making, if I'm Stanley and I'm making, um, so my arms go up and down uh, tape measures, (laughs) I want to make the dollar 99 tape measure that might only go eight feet, might only be three eighths of an inch wide and flimsy because I really want to sell 12 and 15 foot and 25 foot. It measures that might be 15 or 25 dollars that are nice steel construction level right but i if i don't have the dollar 99 or the 299 model then somebody else can come in from underneath me and then build a market share up right so i think there are lots of strategies that talk about a flanking product how do you um how do you how do you mark your territory lack of a me- methodology right it says this is mine
0: yeah right So so I I wanted to emphasize, and not really to you, because I'm sure you get this, but to the audience as well, one of the biggest reasons to go understand why or how somebody got value out of our product or how much value they got out of our product is, sure, I might be able to change the product for them, but even more importantly, when it's time to market that to other buyers, I now know what to say to other buyers. Oh,
1: absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, again... If you're if you're really watching what what people do, and it is likely, what about those people that, especially if you have if you have a website, you can capture data. What about those people that came to your website and didn't buy? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, what was it that they were that they were failing about? You know, uh, another metaphor that I try to use with people is is that during World War II we were. Uh, you know we were in, in our bombing raids over Europe, planes would come back all shot up and at first, people said, "Oh my gosh, look at all these look at all these planes that are landing with bullet holes in them. We should reinforce the airplane where those bullets are going through, and somebody brighter than me said, no, no, no we don 't have to reinforce where the bullets went through let 's go find the airplanes that didn 't make it back, and let 's go reinforce there yes." Okay. So we have to, it, you know, it, it's so easy to look at that, that, oh my gosh, the bullets. Right. And we've got to ask that other question. Why? why somebody came in, if I'm, a, if I'm a car dealership, they came into my dealership and they didn't buy. How come? I mean, I appreciate they were shopping, but what did they buy? Why did they buy it? What, what, what were the features? Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think airlines If we go all the way back to our airlines when I'm traveling on a on a long trip, I frequently search different methodologies, right? What are my different combinations of getting where I want to go, so I can start to to get an idea? And I'm I'm sure that through cookies and tracking and technology and big data, airlines will start to figure out how to bundle those. And I think that's how they they work that out. Uh, hotels do the same kind of things. Anything that's capacity driven and time driven. these are these these aspects apply across all industries it's largely people want to avoid risk they like certainty they don't know what they don't know and we have to we as marketers have to Demonstrate to them the value of those features and those benefits, especially the ones that we can capture greater margin in. I
0: think that's I think that's phenomenal. So, so Dan, I'm going to switch topics real quickly because we're almost out of time. But I have to ask this question. Didn't plan on it, but hey, riff for a minute or two on the following question: How much would you pay for this?
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I was thinking about how much I would pay for this, and I. Yeah, right now I'm paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for it. So yeah. that's what, that's what you're that's what you're worth, Mark. Oh, um, thank you. There you go. I just want to get your the invoice is coming <laughs> by the way. <laughs> you know, I think I think I don't I don't ask that question. Mm-hmm. I think I think that that's kind of a silent question to some degree that both buyers and sellers are are trying to ascertain. I do ask questions that are, you know, I have a title on my, I don't know if you got that on my email, but my, my title on my working title is I'm the chief dragon slayer. That's what I am, right? I don't want to have the title partner or anything like that because I I slay people's dragons. And so when I have those conversations, you know, when, when, it's, when it's lonely and you're alone in your business, you know, um, what are the dragons that are attacking you? And w- how valuable would it be for you if I could help take those dragons away? And then people start to have a conversation. They never say it's worth X dollars, but they but they talk about, oh, if I could get rid of this, I could spend more time with my children, or this I could, you know, take on different work. Well, you can start to ascertain what that value might be, and you you give. Um, Examples of other people who've had similar kinds of pains and you lay out some ideas on kinds of prices that that they might have paid and you kind of read. I mean, I do I read what how the people react to that because they'll never nobody will open up their kimono and say this is what I'm willing to pay. But I think the real question is, is how do I drive the value for you? And then I need to make sure that you pay something less than that value. I don't, I don't care for the how much are you willing to pay for this because that's asking me to give you an answer to something I'm really uncomfortable giving the answer to. But I think that's exactly what we're working for is what are they willing to pay? Well, they're willing to pay as much as necessary, but not more than they have to, right? For their given outcome.
0: I, I think that was a perfect answer, Dan. I love that answer. Because right? we so often, people ask me, or or people want to ask, how much would you pay? And when you ask that question, someone's just going to game the answer to that. They're not going to tell
1: you the truth. I'm sure that you're familiar with, um, if you've interviewed Ron Baker and you've read his work, then you're probably familiar with Reed Holden and, yep. and, and Reed Holden's book, The Story of Effectively, the two car manufacturers, you know, first of all, there was the Corvette absolutely phenomenally successful car for General Motors and the marketplace was liking it. But what people told um, Lee Iacocca at Ford was "It's really neat, but it was expensive. So Lee Iacocca asked them questions that said, well, what do you like? Well, we like the sporty look, but it didn't have to be sporty itself. We like this and we like that. What would you be willing to pay? $2,900. So Lee Iacocca went back to his engineers and said, can we build a car with these features and sell it for $2,900 and make a profit? And the engineers came back and said, we'll get back to you. And they actually came out, I think, at $2,499 or $2,399. And they made a billion foreign profits in like a year and a half. GM had did the other methodology of pricing, which was, here's how much it costs to build the car at a profit margin, and we'll sell it for that. It took GM to like the mid-1970s to make a billion dollars in profit on the Corvette. That ability to sit back and try to ascertain from your customers, with given a set of features and functions, what would you be willing to pay, and then delivering something for less than they'd be willing to pay, but those features, but nominally profitable got to reverse the question always have to start with a customer find out their value and can you provide it at a price and still make a profit that meets their value and a price they're willing to pay
0: yeah and i think the more recent example of that exact thing was what porsche did with the Cayenne. absolutely so they did a phenomenal job with that product mm-hmm. they did it's good looking product still Dan, I'm, I'm afraid we're out of time. I've, I've so enjoyed talking to you. Well, hopefully we can do it again. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. But if anyone wants to contact you, how can they do that? Well,
1: the best is um, our URL is cpadudes.com. That's C-P-A-D-U-D-E-S dot com. And uh, my Twitter is at Morris CPA. Send me an email to Dan at cpadudes.com. Point your directions, give you access to our blogs and our websites and our postings and our thoughts and our ideas absolutely excellent so with
0: names like cpa dudes and dragon slayers we could see that you are uh which we say not taking yourself too seriously
1: well i do have a trademark uh trademark uh slogan that says not just another cpa firm so we try to live to that mantra
0: excellent excellent So to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, We always like hearing from you. Please send your comments to experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live. See you next time.